Welcome to the Job Shop Show, where we talk with the owners, suppliers, partners, and customers of custom manufacturers. Listen and learn the secrets of top-performing job shops, the tools, techniques, and backgrounds that have made them successful, all on the quest of raising the bar for custom manufacturing. I'm your host, Jay Jacobs. This episode is sponsored by Paperless Parts, connecting buyers and suppliers of custom manufactured parts. The Paperless Platform is a secure, ITAR-compliant, cloud-based manufacturing system for suppliers that reduces the amount of time spent on sales, estimating, quoting, administration, and order processing. It offers seamless integration with the accounting and ERP software tools that shops already use, such as QuickBooks, E2, and JobBoss. Paperless Parts was founded with a mission to make manufacturing more accessible by streamlining the quote-to-cash process. Spend less time quoting and more time selling. This episode is sponsored by our friends at the NTMA, the National Tooling and Machining Association. The NTMA is an association of privately held, entrepreneurial-based, and family-owned businesses, representing nearly 1,200 small to mid-sized machine shops and tool and die shops across the country. They have approximately 30 very active regional chapters that host local events, run apprenticeship programs, and provide other services to their regional members. As an association of peers, the goal of the NTMA is to help members of the U.S. precision custom manufacturing industry achieve profitable growth and business success in a global economy through networking, workforce development and training, technology, best practices education, advocacy, programs, and services with industry partners. To learn how your company can get involved with the NTMA, including how to join, visit ntma.org. Shazam, this is Jay Jacobs. Welcome to the Job Shop Show. I do have to share that I miss walking through the shop, hearing the sounds of heavy machinery working, the smells of metals and oils, and the sight of talented craftsmen forming a difficult part or setting up a complicated fixture in a machining center. Ironically, many shop owners are in the same boat today, not in the shop, but working from home remotely because of COVID. And I will be talking today with one such individual, Ryan Murray of A&E Manufacturing in Levittown, Pennsylvania, just outside of Philly. A&E is a quintessential sheet metal shop, started in 1967 and still owned by Ryan's grandfather and great uncle. You know, as an aside, Quintessential means representing the most perfect or typical example of a quality or class. And I find it meaningful in these times that the word essential is part of it. Sheet metal is an essential business that, although basic, is required in so many products that make our economy hum. Anyways, Ryan is general manager in A&E and runs day-to-day operations alongside several other family members. We will be getting into some of the dynamics of having many family members in a business as well as Ryan's self-development journey. Welcome to the Job Shop Show, Ryan. Thanks for having me, Jay. I'm excited to be here. Great. So you shared before we started recording, you've been focusing on nailing one project per week since the shutdown due to COVID. Which project was so much fun, you got it done early? Um... You know, the, the, there's been quite a few projects that we've taken on uh, as we've gone through this time period. Um, I'd say that the the one that has had a 
great impact and uh, we, we got it done as quickly as possible was we got everybody in the office onto Microsoft Teams. Um, we decided that, you know, working remotely, we needed to uh, better communicate within the office and we needed a mm -hmm. tool that was going to help us be able to do that. So we looked into um, the different options that were out there and we decided that Teams was uh, the best option for us. And um, it was it was an easy transition. Uh, it was a little bit of, we had to teach all the team members how to use it, get everybody, get it on everybody's computers, all of that stuff. But um, it has made a huge difference in our company uh, with the communications within the office. And especially since we're working remotely right now, it just makes things so much easier. It's, it makes it feel like we're face to face. We can do quick, easy video conferences. Um, so even when mm -hmm. I'm at home, it makes it nice and easy. They can take me out on the shop floor with their cell phones, uh, things like that. So it's, um, it's been extremely useful. And I think it's something we're going to continue using going forward. So maybe you could just flesh out a description of Microsoft Teams a little more for an owner who doesn't know what it is. Sure. So uh, within Microsoft Teams, um, when you sign up, I think I forget the different levels, but there's different levels you can sign up for and you get access to the suite of, um, you know, all the Microsoft products. And uh, mm -hmm. one of the things that you get is Microsoft Teams. Uh, Teams is a platform that you have different users and each user um, you, you can basically, there's different functions. There's a chat function, there's a Teams function, there's a calendar function. Um, and those are the, the three main ones that, that we use. Within the Teams so I function. I understand, yeah, yeah, I was gonna say, I understand the chat function, but yeah. what is the Teams? So Teams, you can set up Teams within your organization. So you can have a quality team, you can have an estimating team, you can have a sales team. You put the different people that are within mm. your organization into those separate teams, and it just kind of helps you keep track of the conversation. Uh, so if you leave it off for a couple of days, you can go back and everything's still in that team kind of as a chat function in there, but you can add, um, you know, you can add videos, you can add uh, pictures, you can put prints up on there. Um, it, it makes it a really easy way for uh, you to communicate, for you to remember where you're at in discussions, for everybody to see it. So that's the other thing that I love about it is, you know, if um, I'm not there and quality is going back and forth about an issue that they're having on the floor, I wouldn't know. But now that we have the quality team, I just quickly go and see, okay, are there any new no notifications in the quality? Okay, yeah, oh, mm. they're having problems here, there, whatever it may be, and I'm quickly caught up and everybody is. Anybody that needs to know can know. And it also keeps out, so it makes it so that the people that don't need to know, they don't have to get wrapped up in it. And uh, cool. it, it's, it's, been, it's been awesome. We, we, we've been using it and uh, the more that we utilize it, the, the better it gets. We've also been doing like uh, with the calendar function, we're able to set up um, meetings, uh, which are just, we typically don't do a lot of meetings, uh, but with this, situation with the COVID, kind of keeping everybody on the same page, letting people know what's going on, uh, having a weekly meeting, a face-to-face -face so everybody sees each other, um, makes it a, uh, a nice, nice atmosphere. It keeps that face-to-face that, that -face interaction and also keeps everybody on the same page as to what's going on. How did you coordinate calendars before you started using that feature? We didn't. So that's where, <laughs> that's where this is like um, 
a huge step forward for us. It's just organized our communications. It's organized everybody's calendars on there. Um, it, 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 we've, we've actually switched our email over to Microsoft also to host it. And so that helps with integration so that the Outlook calendar syncs up with the team's calendar and all of that stuff goes back and forth. And you're able to track everything that you have going on in the day, which during this time period, I have, you know, how many Zoom calls a day that I have to get on with mm -hmm. customers or whoever it may be. And uh, it, it just helps me keep organized, know what's coming up for the next day. And uh, like I said, that integration is key between the email and the, um, the teams. How about before this, were you using Microsoft 365, which is the cloud-based version of the Office suite? Or did you have it all on, on desktops? Yeah, we had it all on desktops. So now we can. So did you? Did you? You're now you're on the cloud. Yep. Now we're on the cloud. We're sharing files. Uh, it's still, we're still trying to figure out exactly uh, how to best utilize. The, there's a thing called OneDrive that mm -hmm. allows you to put everything on there, and everybody can kind of access it when they have permissions to. And we're figuring out the best way to do that. It's a little tedious at times. Uh, so we're still working on that. But um, you know, the people that uh, have a little more tech knowledge are already utilizing it quite a bit. And I think as we go forward and we set up the systems more and more, OneDrive is going to be a great thing. Um, we use uh, the shared documents so that we can work on a document at the same time uh, all the time. Mm -hmm. So it, it's a it's a nice feature to have. And I think it's something that, like I said, as we go forward, we'll start using it more and more. So you said that this was a project. Did you bring in an outside IT person or was this something you set up entirely within your company with using people in house? So what we initially did is we called a uh, tech company, a local tech company that we had worked with in the past, talked to them about the different things that we were thinking about, the different um, options that we had ahead of us, uh, helped kind of, clarify things a little bit, figured out what they could do for us. And then when, once we decided on Microsoft Teams, we looked into it and we have quite a few people that are pretty good tech wise. And we were able to make a, uh, a shift on our own. We didn't have to call anybody in. Uh, it, was, it was actually a very simple transition. It was just putting up the money, signing up and setting up all the users and all the teams and all of that. It, it's, it's very basic really when it comes down to it, the setup. And to get people up and running, we just did a few quick tutorials, made some uh, videos that showed them how to do the basic functions and everybody kind of took it from there and figured it out. So hmm. it, it's been, it, it's been awesome. It really has. It's uh, definitely something that shop owners I think would want to look into uh, even What's after the cost this COVID. Per employee? I think it was, I can't remember exactly, but for some reason I'm thinking 1299 per month per user, something along those lines. And like I said, that gives you the full for, suite. For everything. Yeah, the full suite and everything. So it, it's, it's almost a no-brainer no when you really look at the value that you're getting out of it. Uh, and uh, the, the increase in the communication and, and just having everybody on the same page. That's what I love about it. And I keep pushing people, put that through Teams, put that through Teams, because uh, the more we use it, the more everybody's going to realize how how this works and how it, it keeps us in a better communication pattern. So. Mm. Well, I'm glad you brought this up because 
we talk about bringing technology into a job shop and it sounds sort of scary and maybe daunting and people might think of a five axis milling center or something that's entirely new technology for a company. But this is really just a step beyond what you were doing. And these are the types of things I think, as, as you described, that it all starts with communication. You waste so much time if you are not communicating, running around, duplicating efforts or redoing something because it wasn't known. So as well as I, I like the fact that you are subscribed to say your quality one. That way you can skim through, you get the highlights. You don't have to have somebody write a report. You don't have to have a meeting to know what's going on in quality. You, you may still have those just the basic ones, but you, you get such a flavor of what's happening just by monitoring that sort of stuff. So that's yeah. really cool. Yeah. It, it's, I like that. It's really nice. And like, even just when I, once I go back, I'm, I, I'm trying to like, envision how it's going to be. But I, I think even just, you know, we have multiple offices, so I have to, you know, walk across the park to get over to the next one. With this, I just click a button, you know, click the little camera and yeah. I'm face to face with uh, the girl in the other office and I can talk. I don't have to walk all the way over there. Um, it, it's simple things like that. It, you can share your screen. That's the other thing I didn't mention. So mm. just uh, like with a Zoom call, you can share your screen. So when you're having a problem with something or you want to show somebody something and discuss about it, it makes it very simple. Uh, you can do that with people outside of the organization too. You can invite people from outside the organization and you can do basically Zoom calls uh, through Teams. So it, it's uh, we've used it in multiple different ways and we're learning more and more ways. But yeah, it, it is something that... Uh, how, can you give me an example how you've used that with a customer or supplier? So we had uh, a customer who came to us with a part that they wanted us to review with them. So we do a lot of part reviews with our engineers and our customers. Yeah. And so uh, myself and one of our engineers got on with two of the engineers from the uh, customer and they were, we, I basically shared my screen and we started going through and discussing each one of the prints. So I bring up the, the print and be like, okay, so, uh, you know, uh, Dan, who's our quality manager, what is the, uh, what are the problems you're seeing with this? And then he would go through, explain the problems he's seeing. Then I'd go through, explain the problems I'm seeing. And we'd go, have it back and forth with the uh, engineers as to why they're doing it that way and how we can help them make the part more manufacturable, basically. Uh, so we, you know, would come to a conclusion on the call, move to the next one. And uh, we do that stuff quite often, but in the past it's been, you know, we've been asking the customers, could you get, could you set up a call for us <laughs> or, you know, and now we have the a very easy way to do it on our own. Right. Uh, we don't have to rely on them. And um, we also can, if we want to, uh, there's an option to, uh, video record so you can keep uh, you can record while you're doing it there's also meeting notes so as you're going through the meeting you can have the meeting notes up on the uh, the other screen typing up meeting notes mm -hmm. for everybody to send afterwards so it's mm -hmm. uh, set up really really well for things like that actually that's awesome yeah well some folks listening may think wow 
I've got to be a really big company to implement something like this. So maybe you could just tell us a little bit about A&E manufacturing and, you know, what you started in 1967. So maybe a quick summary uh, of how you got started, what you guys do, size, that sort of thing. Sure. So uh, we started in 1967. So we've been open for 53 years. It was started by my grandfather, Eric Ost, and his brother, Armin Ost. So A&E, Armin and Eric. Um, we started in, I believe it was in Armin's basement in Philadelphia. They started the company and they grew it into a bigger building. I think uh, another, another location in Philadelphia. And then sometime in the, I think, mid 70s, they moved to the Levittown area and just started buying up buildings. So we currently have around 70,000 square feet. We have, um, uh, we have a warehouse. We have, uh, you know, we, we've got a large, couple of large warehouses basically that we filled up with equipment. We have our own plating room. Um, and, um, you know, we've uh, been able to continually grow through the years uh, and spread ourselves out on that same block, basically. So um, we currently have around 51 employees. We have about 12 people, I think, in the office. So uh, the, it's a small office. So when you're talking about like a big team, it's not a huge team that we've got on uh, teams. Uh, it's just around 10 to 12 people, but it just makes things a lot simpler. Um, mm -hmm. We try to talk to, or try to say that we're a one-stop shop. I think everybody tries to say that. Um, what, what, what services in particular do you focus on? So, you know, we have lasers, we have turret presses. Um, we do, uh, it, it's basically sheet metal fabrication that we do. We do have some additional capabilities, which other shops, not all shops have. We have that plating room. We have a paint shop. We do silk screening in-house. We also um, have a full turnkey assembly uh, shop. So we do uh, mm. full turnkey assemblies for laboratory equipment, medical equipment, things for trucks, um, 3D printers, all sorts of stuff. And it's uh, with some of them, we actually ship direct to their customers. So we take care of it from top to bottom. They just give us a PO and we, we ship directly to their customers. Oh, so you're, so. you're doing... When you say assembly, it's not just sub-assemblies. Not just sub-assemblies. You're doing whole finished product and boxing finished it product, up. Finished product, boxing it up, final testing, wow. the whole deal. So uh, we, we've gotten into that uh, quite a bit over the past couple of years. And we create some really nice partnerships by having that. And it's, Was that something you went into, you pursued yourself, or was it something a customer sort of pushed you into? So we had an actual off-site assembly building for years for one of our customers uh, before they uh, moved offshore. And okay. so it was, that was one of my jobs when I first started uh, at A&E was building that assembly building, looking over that assembly building, making sure they, you know, watching inventory, things like that. And when that went away, it was something that I realized how how much of a draw that was having that. So mm. we tried to rebuild that again once they left and uh, we've been doing a good job over the past couple of years. And it, it's, I think it, it's something that when somebody comes through and I do my, my t typical tour where I'm walking everybody through the shop, ending in the assembly building is just impressive because you walk in there and yeah. you're like, whoa, wait a second, you guys can do this? 
okay, well now we're now we're interested, you know, it, it, it gives that little wow factor. And especially with some of the companies that we're dealing with some of these uh, startups and things that have amazing products that we're making. It's just cool for them to even see them. So it's been it's been something that I think has drawn a ton of business to us. And even the small companies that we've been able to get in with uh, are growing into large companies at this point. So it's been extremely helpful for us. So you're actually you're procuring boards and maybe even installing firmware and things yep. like that. We're, we're very lucky. We have uh, right down the road from us a uh, a partner, uh, two buildings down from us that does cable assemblies, does boards. Uh, mm. We have a machine shop that we uh, partner with also. So we've got a little network that we've built of um, yeah. uh, of partners that we can rely on and we know we're going to get really good pricing from and it, so it, it brings that one-stop shop feel in that way too because we can we can get you cable assemblies we can uh we, we can help you in basically any anything that you need electronics wise uh you know we have that partner in place and uh we'll we'll basically put them directly through to their them and they they all work to get we all work together to get the final product the way that the customer needs it so well, it makes you a lot more valuable to the customer too than just a Absolutely. maker of parts, which then they can go out and bid elsewhere. Yep. So there's a lot of a lot of value add there. I noticed on your equipment list you have rollers as well, and that's not something you always see at a sheet metal shop. It seems like an edge for you. Yeah, yeah, we we are um, we're we're the shop that uh, makes a lot of the difficult parts that other people can't can't do. Uh, we have, you know, with the 53 years of experience, we have a lot of older workers. We have a lot of younger workers now too, um, but the, the older workers bring that uh, craftsmanship uh, to it, to the game that, you know, they, the rolling and um, just things that you need to have that touch to, to make happen, well, I'll, you know. I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll share with the audience what that touch means because it used to amaze me. We're making parts to plus or minus five, ten thousands, and I would see the guys, the, these craftsmen, you know, 30, 40 years experience with these rubber mallets banging the hell out of these parts. And <laughs> guys, we're making precision parts. That's what you have to do sometimes to get it within tolerance, and, and yep. those, those people are so critical. Oh, it's it's unbelievable the value that the, that that knowledge and just the way that, like, if you're welding a part, you you know it it's going to move all over the place if there's too much welding, and just the knowledge yeah. of how you have to go about welding that part, or how once you weld that part how you can get it back to the shape that it's supposed to be by, like you said, right. hitting it with a rubber mallet or just giving it a little knock here, a little knock here and boom, it's yeah. flat. And it's, uh, you know, the, the people that have that type of knowledge, there's, there's not a lot of people that can do that right now that um, uh, have been able to pass that on, I think, to the younger generation because a lot of the younger generation looks at it like, well, just let a machine do this, you know, let's just hit it in the, hit it in the brakes or whatever it may be. Right. And, uh, sometimes it takes that handwork, you know, uh, and that's something we, we have a bit of an edge because those uh, older generation, uh, they've tried to pass that on to some of the younger guys. And I think we, we've been very successful because we have that ability when there's a difficult part that 
uh, we go into a customer and we say, look, just give us your most difficult part. Let us make it for you. Mm. See what see what what ours comes out like, and then we prove ourselves immediately, and it, it it seals the deal for us. You know, then we have a customer for life is what it turns into. So, um, so yeah, the rollers are one of those because those are difficult to yeah. use, and not a lot of people understand how to do that. Uh, we have one part that we do that has I think it's like six different radii um, in in this one part to create this. Uh, cover and it is an extremely difficult part. I don't know many shops that would be able to uh, make it the way that we do, and it, it turns out beautiful every time. Uh, so our, our guys mm. have a have a way with rollers. So yeah. Well, certainly the ability to not get uh, turned having to turn customers away from difficult parts is a big competitive advantage, but. Why else do customers keep coming back? What's your, what are you guys known for out there? I'm going to give you the, the line that everybody gives. You know, we, we definitely are a quality shop. We pride ourselves on our quality. Um, we pride ourselves on on-time delivery. So we're, we are a trustworthy shop, a shop that, uh, you know, when you give us a part, you know you're going to get it when you need it. Um, and you know that um, it's going to be right. Uh, now, the, the other thing that I, I know our, uh, my, my dad, the sales guy, uh, always talks about is we will make a mistake here and there. Everybody will make a mistake. But the, the difference is how we respond to that mistake. So if we make a mistake, um, which is very rare, but when we do, everybody's on it. We've got our quality guy out mm -hmm. there. We've got the owners of the shop out there finding out what went, what went wrong. Uh, we are an ISO compliant shop. So we're documenting everything, figuring out what, what it was, getting that part back to that customer as quickly as possible um, so that they you know, don't have any downtime. And that becomes mm -hmm. a number one priority when we have that problem. So um, I think that's the response to a mistake is also a very well, you, good time to prove yourself as as a, a vendor for a customer so right because every supplier will have hiccups and mm -hmm. definitely those are the times when there is a hiccup is when you have the opportunity to forge the relationship with the customer and show them that you stand above the competition so that and it starts from the top it it, it the owners say fix this and then wash their hands of it that there's an attitude that goes through a shop but if you jump in and that, that's the way i looked at it is a rejected part was always the hottest part in the shop and we needed to get it out the door right away absolutely so, yeah. and i think went that to the top goes a of the long list. way with the customers i really do so i think that sets yeah. us apart um as well as like i said the different parts that we can take on being a uh, you know being able to do the more difficult parts, having the turnkey assemblies that we uh, can do that uh, sets us apart. So, um, how what would you say to a shop that's making parts that wants to get into making assemblies? How would they get started? What do they really have to think about? Well, you have to. difficult question because it, it it comes down to having the right people in place um, understanding it yourself so um, you know I, I wouldn't hop into an assembly that I'm 
not understanding how it goes together, how it, how it works. Um, I, I try to understand anything that I'm getting myself into so that I don't feel like I'm in over my head. Um, that doesn't mean that I understand it initially every single time. Uh, you know, right. I will have to figure that out or hire somebody who's going to help teach me what, what's going on. And um, in some cases, that's what we did. We, we brought on uh, the head of our assembly department and he's brilliant. And uh, we're able to, I'm, I'm able to lean on him to help me understand things. Uh, it, it is a big jump, but also creating partnerships like I did, where we have uh, somebody in the machining realm that I can mm, lean on, right. having somebody in the electronics realm that I can lean on, the cables, all these things that, um, it, it they all work together and so if you have those people that you can go to ask these questions hop on a call with them uh with the customer to help you get through the problems uh, also uh you know suppliers are important too so you know the uh one shop that we have that uh we work with they're also a supplier for you know all the digikey products and things like that so i can get mm. quick turnarounds on things um so a lot of it's just finding the right partners to, to lean on. Um, and it's, it's always a team game, you know, it's always trying to find the right people to work with. And I think with the assembly, especially because there are so many different components to it, uh, you have to have those connections. Um, I mean, a simple, mm -hmm. simple example is, uh, you know, one of the companies that we were working with, they needed packaging and just being able to be like, I've got a packaging guy. You don't have to worry about it. I'll take it to them. Mm. Just having that, those types of connections and that ability immediately puts you as um, a resource to them, somebody that they count on and lean on for any questions that they have. And, you know, so us being in business for 53 years, we have a lot of connections out there and we're able yeah. to tap on those connections. And when something has to get turned around quickly, we can use that for that. Or whether it's a question that our customers have, we can tap on them for that. So. Uh, I think the connections are, are huge for us. So, Well, I think assemblies are a great avenue for a shop to think about growth and not only increase revenue, but make yourself more valuable to your customers. I want to switch gears a little bit and dig in a little bit more about the family dynamics in the business. And you mentioned your father is in the sales side. He's the sales manager, correct? Who else in the family is involved in working in normal times, I should say, day to day at the shop? So we have our two owners, uh, Armin, who I believe is 87 or 88 years old. Uh, we mm. have Eric, who's my grandfather. He's 90 years old. And they are both there every single day, uh, all day long and Eric does a lot of the estimating. Uh, he's still doing some paper pencil estimating, um, which keeps his mind very young because he's doing math all day, every day. And he's also out sure. on the shop floor all the time. Uh, Armin was more of the mechanic. Uh, so he, he's out on the floor all the time wanting to get involved and uh, <laughs> look, look over things and make suggestions. And uh, like I said, having, having those those true craftsmen uh, like Armin uh, at our disposal to teach our young guys is just indispensable. Mm -hmm. um, 
So we have Armin, and then Armin has two sons in the business. He's got uh, Eric, uh, who is our uh, controller or CFO, um, takes care of all the finance end of things. We have Kurt, who is our inventory manager. And then on my grandfather's side, we have my dad, uh, who is my grandfather's son-in-law. He's the sales manager and then myself uh, and I am the general manager and I also am doing a, a lot of quoting right now and estimating and working that side of the business. So, so yeah, when you have that many family members involved, there must be some challenges. And I think as well, you have multi-generations. So as an example, my father is 86 and he was very helpful when I was growing rapid. He was a shareholder and he was my special projects guy and, but a different relationship because it was my company and he came in and I know that there would have been definitely uh, different ways of wanting to do things if it was his company. So how do you, how do you guys go about that? Have you come up with protocols? And cause this is obviously common in job shops. Do you have a, do you have, when do you, your general manager, what is, is it written or unwritten in terms of when you bring other people into decisions? When do you need buy off on certain points? How, how does that whole thing work? How, how have you guys figured out how to be uh, in harmony? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's interesting. So family businesses are not always easy. Um, you know, it, it's especially with having two separate families, there's always, you know, the, I think the competition factor between everybody. Mm. And uh, it, it kind of drives us forward. We're all, you know, we're all trying to compete and do better and push forward and, uh, you know, uh, critique each other's ideas. And um, I think it has given A&E um, a definite one up uh, from its competition through the years, just because, uh, the, you know, my grandfather and my uncle are constantly pushing each other to better the company and to, uh, mm. you know, uh, critique, critique each other's processes. And uh, it's, um, it's a, a dynamic that I think creates progress, I guess, is the way you can put it. Um, and it's, like I said, it's not always easy because it is family and you have to be careful because you, you are sitting down to Thanksgiving with these people also. So you got to keep that right. in mind. And, right. <laughs> um, you know, I go to lunch with my grandfather every single day and, you know, I know I'm going to be sitting in front of him. So I, I need to watch my step because I got a, you know, an hour that I'm sitting face to face. And <laughs> so it's, um, th there's definite different dynamics uh, in a shop like that. But the way that we've handled it is, you know, I mean, Armin and Eric are the owners of the company. They make the decisions. Mm -hmm. They, you know, everything kind of needs to run through them. Um, now with the COVID time period, it's shifted a little bit because um, the need for technology to be able to drive things forward right now is mm -hmm. um, making things difficult for them because they are not as computer literate. And so um, it, it's 
gone to the younger generations has kind of been uh, forced uh, into pushing us to the forefront a little bit. And, uh, you know, I think it's a good thing because it's it's kind of proving to the uh, older generation that we are able to step up. We're able to uh, do these things along with the help of all of our uh, great employees that are uh, helping us uh, along the way. And um, we, you know, I think it, it is a dictatorship. <laughs> you know, that's that's kind of how it's, sure. if you're saying like, how is it run? It is, it's a dictatorship type, type of atmosphere. And uh, everybody, you know, is, knows that there's people at the top and they need to get uh, approvals on things. Uh, so all, all things run through the owners. And um, I think everybody just kind of buys into that. It, it, it works, you know, it, it makes it. But so they're that, accessible. They're very not, accessible. Like some, yeah. yeah. So some owners are, they want to make the decisions, but they're there a couple of days a week or they spend the winters in Florida. And that yeah. makes it really hard to, to make decisions and keep them in the loop. Completely. Absolutely. And, and I think that was actually part of the struggle with uh, this COVID time period is that, you know, with, the orders that we got from our governor that we at first had to shut down. And then eventually we were told, well, everybody who can stay home has to stay home. So we, you know, went through and like, I've been working from home a lot uh, through this time period, uh, been in a couple times and, you know, it's keeping the teams, Microsoft teams has helped me keep that face to face, uh, keep, mm-hmm you know, constant contact with everybody. Uh, we also have, I mean, security cameras all over the place. I can see everybody, what they're doing all day long. Mm. I can see if, uh, you know, Johnny didn't show up to work today. I can see that he's, his car is not in the parking lot. And then I can send a text message mm. real quick. What's going on? You know, I'm still uh, present. Uh, and I think that's something with the owners of A&E that they've ingrained in me is that, you know, you need to stay present. You need to be there in order to drive this forward. Otherwise, things aren't going to happen. Things aren't going to happen the way you want them to happen. And so you need to have that constant presence there. And they've been, I mean, for all 53 years, they've been there every single day of it. Right. And uh, they're they're working their butts off all day, every day. So it's pretty amazing. Well, it must be, it must be so frustrating for them because yes, they've done this for so long and now they're being told they can and they are more at risk population. So they, they shouldn't. Uh, I want to ask you though, you mentioned specifically technology and Microsoft teams is sort of an extension of the Microsoft office and things you're already doing, but you also are bringing in brand new technologies and you're a recent paperless parts customer and, Full disclosure, I'm a co-founder of Paperless Parts, but my question is not so much about paperless as how paperless parts surmounted the obstacles which we've talked about, that decision-making. So so that another job shop owner who is maybe second generation can learn from the success that you had in bringing paperless in-house and in, you know, technology that may not be fully understood by the other generations. So you had to, I'm assuming, use some of your real hard-earned political capital to bring paperless in-house. So I guess maybe first, tell me why you pushed for paperless and why you decided to expend some of that capital. Sure. So since paperless uh, first contacted me and I started looking into uh, what you guys were doing, uh, I was just 
very impressed by the software itself um, and the idea behind the software, um, the fact that you, you, you can put a 3D file in there and it's taking all of that geometry, uh, turning it into a quote for you, at least, a, you know, it doesn't, it's, it's geometry dr driven, so it has to be part of the geometry in order for it to plug it in the quote. But um, having that ability and not doing all the handwork that I was doing, I just immediately saw how important that was going to be for me and also for um, the consistency factor of a quote. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, I saw the value right away. And when I told my grandfather about it, he understood the value uh, by what I said, but he he had a little trouble understanding exactly how it would work, you know, and um, that Armin and Eric surprise me sometimes how they understand some of the technology because uh, uh, it, it seems, uh, I, I don't know, I would think somebody of their age would have a lot more trouble understanding how things should work, but they just get it. So uh, I'm okay. probably in a luck, uh, lucky in a lot of ways there that they, they, they've been, they've grown up or they're not grown up, but uh, they've uh, gone through the whole process with computers and um, they understand like, the very basic end of the computers and how it's built its way up. So they have that idea of, you know, how databases should work, how, how uh, everything in, in a computer system should work, how it should tie together. And they were able to pick it apart probably better than I was even, which is pretty funny. Uh, but they were picking out like, okay, well, well, why is, why is this not happening? Why is that not happening? And I'm like, it should be, I don't know, you know? And so then we would call you up and uh, uh, your sales guy was like, well, we're working on that. And I was like, oh, well, I've heard that before. But then a month later, I see that you guys did it, you know? And then that's, that's what was impressing me with paperless parts. It was like every single month that I would check in with you guys, it was like, you guys were knocking these things off and it was progressing very rapidly to be the system that we were talking about when my grandfather was picking it apart. And so that, that end of it really impressed me. Uh, all the other quoting systems that I've ever looked at, um, I don't want to bring up names or anything, but uh, they, they're static. They, you know, they set them up and then they sell them. And it's not this constant progression that I was seeing with paperless. It, it, that's what really impressed me and made me keep pushing for paperless and trying to get them to understand the value of um, having a system. So did like you, that. is this the type of conversation you would have at lunch with your grandfather? Way too often. Yes. <laughs> we have those conversations all the time and I just keep sure. putting okay. it in his head, putting just, it in his head. I'm, okay. So that, that's the idea is you're putting yeah. it in his head. So I'm just trying to from How another, did I get there. That, that yeah. second generation owner is, I, I believe in this technology, whatever it is, how do I convince the first generation owner or whoever that it, it will have them have as much faith in it as I do? I think my, my biggest obstacle is um, the systems and everything that have been put in place have been built by the owners, right? So they have a bit of... Um, mm -hmm themselves invested in it you know they, they yeah. they've they've created these quote sheets they've created these processes that's their process well that's the best process it's their process and i think yeah. breaking down the fact that 
trying to get through to them that there, there is a new generation coming through and you know we need to capture this knowledge that you guys have um capture all of this and the ability that i can do that in paperless parts is it's kind of blown me away a little bit uh, i didn't think i'd be able to um hone it in quite as much as i have but that's how i sold it to them it was look i can i can take this system and I can capture this knowledge that you guys have in your head so that when we mm. go and we're not able to rely on you guys anymore, we have that knowledge there to build upon. And uh, I can systematize that so that, you know, when I get there, I'm going to need other people helping me. And so I need to spread this out. I need to not be the only person quoting in the company. And the only way to do that is to have a system in place that uh, is able to be used by uh, more of a, I guess, a lay person, I guess you could say, um, that mm -hmm. systematizes it for them to be able to kind of plug things in. And once they plug things in, it works. And they just have to learn how to plug things in correctly. And that's where once I got them to see that and see that, you know, I'm, I'm trying to I'm not trying to take over their quoting system. I'm not trying to take their their uh, their end of things. You know, I want them to continue quoting all of that. It, it was more just this is how we have to go for the future. It's something I need that's going to help me push this company forward in the future and keep that knowledge that you've given me and and be able to spread it to other people without so, giving away the. Well, uh, all the secrets too, because that was the other thing. They were very worried. Well, then everybody's going to be able to quote. Uh, quote. They could just go to any other company and they can take our quoting system. I said, no, 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 no. They're, they're quoting. They're learning how to use the system. They're not learning uh, how our quoting system works because I'm programming that in there when we were doing the onboarding process. It's not. It's right. not something that everybody in the company is going to understand all the numbers behind it. Uh, if they want to reverse engineer it, they probably could figure it out, you know, but they could do that with our quote sheets right now. So uh, right. it's the same thing. So um, get, once I got them to understand that, I think their guards came down a little bit. So what was the tipping point where they said, okay, Ryan, we, we want to let you go ahead and move forward. Um, I think it was multiple. How did you factors. get there? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, a, there was a lot of factors. Uh, one thing was that I just kept bringing it up. <laughs> I was a bit of a pest so, about it. So let's, so let's, let's, let's notch down persistence. Yes. If you're not persistent, exactly. it's not going to happen. Um, I also started pointing out uh, competitors that were um, using products similar or uh, that were jumping ahead of us because of it, um, pointing out mm. that the, the shops that were really growing and really um, had grown uh, in the past uh, utilized a similar type of technology. Uh, they were able to accept quotes online, were able to use the geometry to create the quotes, get quotes out faster. And I also used the sales process end of it that be for our salespeople to be able to follow up quickly on quotes, um, do it in an orderly manner because the way paperless parts is set up, you know, you have the uh, quotes that you send it out and it goes into a holding bin, basically the outstanding, right. and they can go right in there and see, oh, these are all our outstanding quotes instead of our old method of, well, let's go downstairs, look at all the file folders that are in this <laughs> bin. Uh, okay, those are the ones that are outstanding. Well, that one was three months ago. Uh, you know what I mean? It, it, this is yeah. a quick, easy way to check in and see uh, all these are outstanding. And Do when you, I showed them that type of thing, that kind of opened their eyes a little bit to how much it's going to so, help us, even just on the sales end. 
So tell me, though, the moment when they said, go ahead, Ryan. Uh, the moment they went go ahead uh, was during the COVID period. We, you know, I went to them and said, I want to take advantage of this time period. I am at home right now. And I am guessing that we're not going to have a lot of quotes, which was wrong. I had a lot of quotes. But <laughs> I, my, my selling point was that I had the time, uh, which I didn't, but <laughs> we made it. Um, I would have the time to actually buckle down on this before I get back. I'll be able to get it all up and running. Um, and, you know, there's not going to be another time to do this. And also, look, one of our biggest competitors just signed on with them. So we're... <laughs> We're falling behind a little bit. And when they, the mixture of those two factors, um, I got a very quick yes from both of them at that point. Uh, so it, I, I think they also, you know, it, it was a decision they saw when I explained, because that, that's when I really explained to them that we need it for the future generations so that we can keep this thing going mm -hmm. and capture this right. knowledge that they have. So it, it all came together kind of in a perfect little storm and uh, it, it worked out, so. Have you made a pitch for other technology that didn't go so well? Oh yeah. <laughs> what, what? And so how did you, how did you change your approach? Um, some of the other stuff was uh, a larger investment. Uh, so that would be part of the problem, I think. Um, mm -hmm. But it, it also, I think is because they, they saw the value that, this was something that helped capture what they're doing. And they, they realized that, you know, they're, they're not going to be around forever at this point. They're getting towards 90 years old. And I think they're getting that realization a little bit. And they realized that, you know, the quoting end of things and capturing that knowledge into this system and building this system uh, was a real important thing for um, for me, uh, for the family uh, going forward uh, without them so that we can well, help, they, they can kind of help us hone it in uh, over these next couple of years. And uh, they, yeah. they, they realize that was a value. Whereas if it's a new press break that I want, uh, that's, they're not gonna have much say. I'm not capturing their knowledge there. You know yeah. what I mean? If you, if, you, if you pitch a solar powered press break, which obviously doesn't exist, but they, they might say that's nice, but the old one works just fine. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yep. That's, that's pretty much what I run into is, uh, you know, we, we have a lot of, a lot of equipment. So, uh, you know, sometimes there's new technology out there what, and sorry. So what other technology are you, are you looking at right now? Might you invest in this um, year? You know, we're looking at different things. Uh, you know, we, we've just upgraded uh, to the fiber optic lasers, um, which are mm -hmm. in, incredible. I mean, changed our shop completely uh, when we, we did that, made that change. We've got all new welders that we just got recently. Um, uh, so, you know, we're, we're upgrading all over the place. Uh, the one place I would really like to upgrade is in the press break department. I'd like to get, um, you know, some more automation going in that area. Um, and then in the finishing area, uh, there are some new, uh, not time savers, I call them time savers because that's the brand name, but um, right. the deburring machines that uh, I think sure. would be very beneficial for some of the different finishes that we need, we are required to put on to, to parts. Um, so those are two areas that I'm pretty pretty excited about. We just updated our entire plating room. So we 
we've been updating as we've been going along, but there are some machines that, man, the machines that we've ha had for the past 20, 30 years are just as good as the machines they're selling right now. In some areas, they might not be as energy efficient or something like that. We might have to add a controller onto it, something along those lines. We're able to, we're not able to see the value in certain things, uh, buying, buying the new technology on certain things. So uh, we are very picky about what we move forward with, but um, it's usually driven by uh, what the needs are from our customers and what the needs are from uh, you know, a maintenance standpoint also sometimes, so. Yeah, well, th thanks for sharing that story. That was really powerful in the sense that it's, something so many shops are engaged with and they sometimes it's successful sometimes it's not and i want to talk a little bit about how you have made yourself successful so again before we were recording this you shared that you relatively recently have done a lot of self-development work mm -hmm. well let's just call it that and what what got you started on that and maybe quickly take us through the path because I want to make sure we get time to talk about podcasts. Sure. Um, so I think truthfully the self-development end of things started, I, I, I'm very into lifting weights. And so uh, I, I really enjoy weightlifting and that kind of taught me that if I put work into something, I can get better at it. Because if I go down there and today I lift, you know, 200 pounds, uh, I go down mm -hmm. there next time I can do 205 and the time after that I can do 210 and the time after that. So I saw this progress and it, it taught me that I can grow. I can become a better person when I put the time in, when I put the work in there. And so that got me into the self-development end of things. And so, like you said, podcasts and things like that, uh, books have really driven driven that into me um and made me realize that you know uh i guess if you're not growing you're dying you're you know you, you need that you need to keep moving forward keep making yourself better um in order to uh fulfill that drive that i think all humans have in them um i think mm -hmm. that uh, tony robbins talks about that's one of the basic needs of a human is um to to grow and when you stop growing you lose purpose and so i i make it a point to get to find things that inspire me and to use those things as tools to push me to higher levels uh, that's that's how i have basically gone about it um, the podcasts or have been a big part of it for me. Um, the, uh, Tim, Tim Ferriss podcast, uh, especially, uh, that was the one that really started me off on the path with podcasts. He just, um, the way that he did his podcasts, the, um, the value that you're able to get out of them really just, uh, brought it to a whole nother level for me. And, um, mm -hmm really hooked me onto the podcast end of things. So um, I think you had said that you, you've listened to Tim Ferriss as well. Absolutely. He, yeah. I was reading his books. I read the four hour work week about a less than a year after it came out and some of the principles in there and 
directions that he suggested gave me a path where I was able to grow rapid and just, uh, I had always looked at if I got to $5 million in sales at rapid, then mission accomplished. And I could just sit back and coast. And I read a book that he recommended in the four hour work. We called the magic of thinking big and it made, yeah, it just made me all of a sudden say, well, I'm not thinking very big. Mm-hmm. What, what could this become? And it just opened the door to opportunity. And that was probably my, where I really accelerated the, the learning. Uh, who else besides Tim Ferriss do you like to listen to? Really like uh, Tom Bilyeu. He has um, Impact Theory is his company. Um, he, he started uh, Quest Nutrition and sold that off and then started this thing called the impact theory and it's a a podcast a you know he has youtube videos he's got uh all sorts of things based off of uh the idea basically of what i was just talking about it's uh creating a growth mindset is what he calls it um and Mm -hmm. um not having a fixed mindset and helping people realize that they have it within them to grow and uh, to become a better version of themselves. So that lines right up with what we were just talking about. So that's one of the reasons I love his, his show. Um, There's also uh, Ed Milet. He has an amazing podcast, very inspiring. Um, He has great guests on and uh, I like to listen to those in the morning just to kind of pump me up, get me in the right state uh, to get going. What's the name of his podcast? The Ed Milet Show um, is yeah, what it's called. Okay. Yep, that's a great one. Uh, he, he's just, he's inspiring. He, he gets, you, gets you up, gets you going, puts you in that state that, uh, you know, you're, you're inspired to get through the day and uh, really accomplish something. And uh, some, some mornings I need that. So. <laughs> So I I, I lean on a podcast like that. Um, Watch other ones. I I do any, anything Tony Robbins. I mean, if we're going uh, books are another big thing for me. Um, You know, I I do a lot of reading. I probably read um, a book to two books a week uh, is what I go for. Uh, and read, I mean, uh, it is also audible. I listen to a lot of them um, because I have a, a little bit of a ride to work. So do you do that while you're weightlifting at all? All the time, all the time. I, it, sometimes I'll listen to music, but um, I, whenever I'm doing any cardio or anything like that, I'll have a book running. Um, and anytime I'm doing yard work, whatever it may be, I'll have headphones in any, my ears. And what, what, What's a favorite book or two? Hmm. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to think right, right off the bat. Um, some books that I like. Well, Tim Ferriss has a couple of books that I've, I've loved. Uh, the four hour work week was pretty pivotal for me. Also, uh, when I first came out of college, I was following his blog and, um, actually fun, quick, funny story. He, um, I went to a, uh, it was an MMA match, uh, when I was in Columbus, Ohio one time and my mm-hmm. brother had gotten us these great tickets and we went down there and we were, we were running late and we actually had to kick somebody out of our seat. And it was like somebody from like American gladiators, this big, huge guy. And I'm like all nervous <laughs> and everything. And I sit down and I look behind me and this is before Tim Ferriss was very well known. And I'm like, I think that's Tim Ferriss. I'm pretty sure that's Tim Ferriss. And I'm sitting there trying to look on my phone to see if it's him. And 
couldn't bring up the courage to uh, say hi to him because I wasn't sure. And I've kicked myself ever since because right after we left the show, he was the one sitting behind me and uh, <laughs> he posted uh, oh, that wow. he saw, saw the fight and I'm like, oh no. So I missed my opportunity. But um, <laughs> he, uh, he's been a big inspiration for me. Um, Magic Thinking Big it was uh, one that I loved as well. Um, and it's such an old book, but it's, oh, it's yeah. classic. It, it, it is. It's an yeah. absolute classic. Um, the I'm trying to go through my Audible right now. Uh, the well, while you're looking at that, while you're looking at that, I'll just throw out. I love podcasts too, and I love Dan Sullivan of Strategic Coach. I think he's got eight that he's on. They particularly exponential wisdom with Peter Diamandis. If you want to learn about the technology coming at you and the multiplier mindset, another one with Dan, those are excellent. Listen to Joe Rogan on occasion. And I also like to listen to some human longevity biohacking ones. That's sort of a hobby of mine. So David Hazy has one called superhumanizing. There's one called living beyond 120. Ben Greenfield is a great one. And then if you want to totally blow your mind and uh, think about, I never took organic chemistry, but imagine what it would be like. There's a guy, Dr. Peter Atia, the drive, and he just gets so in granular detail. So uh, it's, there's so much information out there. And I think actually, Ryan, one of the things that, it's probably worth, you, you've probably seen this is that a lot of books are dated in the information and to really get current information, you need to get into blog articles and podcasts. And in particular, what I find with podcasts is the asides are often the gold yep. and they're the type of stuff that nobody would ever write about, mm -hmm. Absolutely. but somebody has this throwaway line. You're like, Whoa. And those uh, I, I, that's what I, I i love with the podcast but just the the information is like you listen to dr pigatia he is just cutting edge on what's going on with so many different aspects of health so, yeah, peter t is uh, amazing it, I, I follow a lot of his stuff with the fasting and everything and he uh he blows my mind uh he, he's a brilliant guy and he just dives so deep so deep that sometimes yeah. it's a little, little over my head, but, uh, he's uh, a lot he's over my head, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so, so he actually it, brought one up the, have you listened ahead. to uh, anything from Jocko Willink? I love Jocko Willink. Uh, he, he wrote, uh, a bunch of different books. Uh, discipline equals freedom is one of them. Um, then mm -hmm. he's got a couple of different, uh, leadership books out there. Um, extreme ownership is the one that I, I love. And then the dichotomy of leadership. Uh, I, I think he, he's an ex Navy seal. Uh, he has a podcast. He's a great guy to follow also. Uh, I, I love his stuff. So, uh, that's another one that I'll throw out there. So. Sure. Yeah, he is, he is a, just a, an incredible physical human specimen. He was a Navy SEAL commander and he's just insane. So yeah, um, <laughs> he's a fun one to, to, to listen to. Yeah. And he's got, he's got a great, um, great way of looking at things and his big thing that discipline equals freedom that, you know, if you have discipline, you're going to create that freedom that you want in your life. And also the extreme ownership that you need to take 
ownership of everything in your life. You need to take ownership of uh, every no facet. Excuses. No excuses. No. And if more people would live off of those uh, values, it would be a much, much better world. So um, listening to him and getting that re-ingrained in your head every once in a while is, uh, I think, a, a really good thing for a lot of people. So uh, I enjoy him a lot. I get a sure. kick out of him. <laughs> So I got a couple more questions before we wrap up here. Uh, one, you said you've been doing a lot of quoting and are you seeing companies that are thinking about bringing parts and products back to the U S is that something that's occurring? Yeah. So, I mean, we've been seeing it for a little while, honestly, um, since, uh, Trump put some of those tariffs on there. Uh, we started yeah. seeing a lot of, the bigger companies that have gone across seas um, and looked for the tax breaks and all of that, um, they are starting to realize they need to have other sources. And so I'd say probably about, like I said, a year and a half, two years, and it's probably more than that now, two, two and a half years ago, we started seeing some, um, but since the COVID time period, we've seen a little bit of an uptick. It seems like we've had a lot more quotes coming in with people being like, we need a local supplier. We don't want to have to, rely on China. We don't want to have to rely on, uh, you know, Malaysia or, and we're seeing it on the assembly end of things. Um, we have uh, a, a, tip, a fan that we need for one of the assemblies and we're going to be lying down because it's made uh, across seas. They've shut down the factories. We're not getting anything. Wow. And, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a big problem for one of our big customers. And um, it shows that need for the manu manufacturing in the U.S. And I think a lot of these companies are realizing, even if they're not going to bring it all back, they need that second supplier that they can then roll over to when there is a problem. And so I don't yeah. think it's going to all shift immediately. But I think um, there's been a big mind shift as to, okay, well, everything to China, it's so much cheaper, it's so much cheaper. Well, now they're quoting us and they're like, when you take all these costs into account, it's not all that much cheaper. And right. we can actually talk to them at, you know, work hours. Well, this is, <laughs> is kind of nice. Uh, you know, it, uh, this could be a, a good relationship here. And, and so it, um, I think there is going to be a shift back uh, to the U.S. That's my uh, take on it. And um, I think it's, and don't want to go political here, but I do think it's something that's needed for uh, the U.S. in general. I, I, you have to have control of your manufacturing, and I think it's a huge part of running a successful country. So I'm hoping that our cu customers and uh, all of our future customers um, realize that, and um, we are making a big push as to uh, making sure that everybody knows, you know, made in USA and putting the, the flag mm -hmm. on our stuff and stuff like that, because we think it's important. We, we think, you know, ma U.S. manufacturing is, uh, it, it drives, drives the country forward. And if mm -hmm. um, we don't have manufacturing, uh, you see what could happen in a period, time period like the COVID time period. I mean, it, it could have been uh, a, a big problem uh, relying on everybody for everything that we need when, you know, we need masks, we need whatever it may be, and they're all being made across these, they're just keeping them for themselves. Uh, we need to be able to control that um, in our own country. And I think 
a lot of the co companies got it. And some of the bigger, bigger customers that we work with, I've talked to a lot of the, um, uh, the higher ups or the uh, purchasing managers and it's what I'm hearing. It's that, you know, we're, we're going to start making a shift back We're we're going to bring, uh, we had like this one customer who says they have this one assembly that we're making for them. And they're, they have four of the same, same type of assembly they make over in China. They're getting us to quote it, um, things like that. So I, I'm seeing a shift and I, uh, very happy about that, not just on a A&E level, but just on a countrywide level. I think it's going to really help our country uh, in a great way. So That's great news. Yeah. So one last question. I'm going to ask you a rapid fire question that Tim Ferriss often <laughs> asks his guests. What message would you put on a billboard so that I can be seen by tens of thousands of people? Oh, boy. Um, that's a tough one. Uh, billboard. I mean, I always, I go back to the Jocko thing, the discipline equals freedom or, uh, extreme ownership. Those are kind of my taglines, uh, with my life. Um, but those, I'm trying to come up good. with one. Yeah. I'm trying to come up with one of my own, but, um, you know, it, it's, hmm. I'll go with discipline equals freedom because I really do like that uh, uh, as a mantra for people. And I think if you know more people were able to create that personal discipline um, or create that discipline in their shop or wherever it may be, um, you know, it, it affords more of that freedom that everybody's looking for. Whether it's you know personally that you're able to create a nicer life for you and your family and all of that, or whether it's in your shop and the guys out there want more freedom. Okay. Well, if you have all the discipline, I'm not going to be over your neck the entire time. You know what I mean? So discipline equals freedom. So I'll go with that one. <laughs> I, I like it. I like it. And I think it's a great mantra to follow. So there you go. A great place to stop. Ryan, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. This is a very cool conversation. And you, you shared some great ideas regarding how to position yourself for growth, how you think of that. And then ideas that are not just limited to custom manufacturing, but they, they carry over to how you, you do your job. And definitely they are just as applicable, if not more so, to the personal life. So really good stuff. Anything else you'd like to add? Anything we didn't touch on that you want to just share? Um, I don't think so. Um, you know, I, I definitely, uh, with uh, paperless parts, I mean, I'm not trying to plug it for you or anything, but one thing I did want to mention at some point is just um, the, the thing that amazed me with paperless parts, getting on board with it, was how I was able to turn it into my quoting system. Um, and what you guys did there uh, really uh, kind of blew me away because it's, you know, you, you think, oh, well, I'm buying a quoting system. Well, it's not gonna be able to be like me. It's not gonna get in my head. But the way that we were able to program it, it really, it's my quoting system. It's my thinking. It's my, uh, everything that I, you know, when I'm doing a quote by hand uh, or on my Excel spreadsheet, the thoughts that are going through my head, I'm able to put that into, you know, the, the coding that you guys uh, use and make that output exactly what my 
my output would be. And uh, I'm, I'm getting to the point where um, I'm still quoting side by side because I'm still learning, but um, and trying to make sure that I've caught everything. But the <laughs> the software is actually catching my mistakes at this point, and I'm starting <laughs> to tr trust the software a little bit more than myself, <laughs> which is a great point to get to. Um, so I just wanted to kind of throw that out to everybody who's looking at the software uh, so that they can understand it. It it really does become your quoting system. It's not, you're not buying somebody else's quoting system. You're buying a, a framework to put your quoting system into. And um, it, it, it's, it's blown me away how, how we've been able to accomplish that. So thank you. You guys are doing a great job with that. And I, I just wanted to make sure that I got that out there because I think it's, a, it's something that a lot of people don't understand with it. And it's something I didn't fully understand until I went through the process, so. Well, I really appreciate the kind words. And if someone wants to connect with you, how can they do so or connect with A&E? Sure. Um, we have a website. It's uh, ae-mfg, like manufacturing.com. So uh, if you want to get a hold of me personally, I'm ryan at ae-mfg.com. And, um, you know, any anybody that wants to have a conversation or, um, you know, any, any questions about the stuff we've talked about, I'm more than happy to uh, hop on a call or uh, shoot some emails back and forth uh, with anybody. Great. Very cool. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Well, listeners, thank you for being here today with us. And my question for you is what podcasts do you keep on your playlist besides, of course, the Job Shop Show? You could post them in comments. Let us know what resonates with you. And, you know, as I think about it, podcasts remind me of the 1% rule. If you improve 1% every day, if you can take something that will help you in 1% every day from a podcast or a blog or a book, imagine where you'll be at the end of the year, even if you take weekends off. Until next time, keep those spindles turning and those lasers cutting and have a most enjoyable day.